So you can go ahead and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll get into that in a moment. And by the way, welcome to your first church service, our first church service in February. So uh, we have made it to February in 2023. And this week, I want to start out by telling you about an article that I read that I came across about a social media sensation named the Liver King. And the Liver King became popular in 2021 when he began promoting what he called the ancestral lifestyle, which he claimed will make you stronger, will make you healthier, and will make you happier if you follow this. Anyone want to be stronger and healthier and happier? No one's raising their hands because they know what's coming. This included eating large amounts of raw meat and organs, such as bulls, testicles, animal livers, and cow brains. Anyone else now interested in the diet, right? Uh, by the way, this morning I, I went to, I, I googled his, uh, a video of him eating, and I could only make it in about 10 seconds, and I was like, no, as he was scooping out something, some sort of bone marrow, or I don't know, no, I was out. Uh, and uh, by the way, in case you are tempted to do this, the nutritionists say in the article, it's not a recommended diet. I'm sorry. So along with the raw meats, he also uh, tried to sell some dietary supplements and other stuff. So that's how he would make his money off of this. And because of his massive muscles, as you can see, not as good as mine, but still very, very good, he gained a massive following. So he had 1.7 million uh, followers on Instagram, 3.8 million on TikTok, but there was just one problem. Some leaked emails came out and it revealed that he didn't get all those muscles from his diet. He, in fact, got them from taking $12,000 of steroids each month. And so the liver king is now being sued for $25 million because he misled his followers. So good luck, liver king. Enjoy your, I guess it's going to be now, discount raw meat from Walmart, right? So when I read this story, one of the things that came to mind is, and, and I was in the middle of preparing for this message, is how what the liver king was doing is the exact opposite of Christians when they're involved in evangelism. And let me explain why. First of all, the liver king is making things up. He was just flat out lying for his benefit. So that's the first thing. Second, Christian, or it's Christians on the other hand, when they're evangelizing, they're sharing not a lie, but they're sharing what God has done in their life. And many times it's not to their benefit, but it's to their detriment. So that's the first thing. Second, the liver king had no issues boldly proclaiming his message of raw liver and raw uh, testicles and, and so on, eating all those. Sadly, though, it's the opposite with Christians many times that Christians are hesitant far too often to share about Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about today. So we're in a series titled Ignite Your Faith. This is the last message in the series and we've been looking at five things that you can do to grow your faith. Five things to make 2023 a year of spiritual growth. And we've talked about uh, having a relationship with Jesus. 
getting in scripture, getting involved in the church, getting sin out of your life. And today's the last message where we're going to be talking about the importance of evangelism. So we're going to dive right into step five of igniting your faith. And so if you have your bulletins or your teaching sheets in the bulletins, here is the first point that we are called, if you want to ignite your faith, to proclaim to others what God has done in you. So proclaim the other to others what God has done in you. And so I'm going to go ahead now and read our main passage from 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So in this passage, I want to point out three things that Peter is saying. First of all, he points out who we are. And then he's going to be talking about what we're called to do in light of who we are. And then he's going to talk about why we should do it. And so first, who we are. Who we are if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 9 again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So this is one of those amazing truths that we often as Christians take for granted. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you aren't just forgiven. You are forgiven, but it's not that alone. You're forgiven when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're forgiven and you're brought into the family of God. So once you put your faith into Jesus, you are adopted into his family. So you're no longer a Smith or a Jones or a Miller or fill in your last name. You are adopted into the family of God. Before the service, I almost played that Matthew West song, I am a child of the one true king, because it, it fits in right there. Thanks to Jesus Christ and what he did when you put your faith in him. You're forgiven and a child of the one true king. So God says, when you put your faith in, my, in him, God says, you are mine. You are mine. You are now a child of royalty. And notice the language used on the next slide there. You are chosen. You are royal. You are a priest. And a priest is someone who is a mediator between God and the people. So it's as if in this situation, in this context, Peter's saying that you are on behalf of God mediating to the people out there who don't know him. He also says that you are holy, which means set apart by him. And so you are God's. You are God's possession. You are his. That's the first thing. Who we are, that we are God's and holy and royal and royal priests and all of that. So I want to just encourage you that if you've put your faith in God recently or 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 years ago, these words are for you. That that is who you are. You are chosen by him and you are a royal priest. So don't forget that. 
when you go throughout the week and when you mess up and when you sin or when you have doubts or struggles, all of that, you are still His. And He loves you. So second, then, what, is, what else is Peter saying? He, say, he then talks about what we are called to do. So in light of who we are, he then talks about what we are called to do. Continuing in verse 9, he says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So in light of who you are, God is calling you to proclaim what God has done. So at the very basic level, this is what evangelism is. Evangelism is recognizing what God has done in you and sharing that awesome news with others. That's evangelism at its most basic form there. You may say in light of that, well, I'm not good at debating with people. And I would say that's fine. You don't need to debate all the time. Just share what God has done in you. You may say, uh, well, what if they say no to me? And I would say, did you share what God has done in you? And if so, you have done your part. You've done your part. And you may say, well, what if they make fun of me? Which I would say most likely will happen in many situations. And I would say, that's fine. Because you're no longer part of their family. You are part of God's family. So what they say doesn't really matter. In fact, I would even add, do you want to be blessed? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5.11. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So if you want to live blessed by God, then hey, go find those situations where they are going to persecute you. Because Jesus is saying that when you are persecuted, when people mumble things against you, when they make fun of you, or even in that time and possibly in our time in the future, in many other parts of the world, when they hurt you, you are blessed. You are blessed by God. So that's what we are called to do. Last, why we should do it. Why we should do it. Verse, uh, so not only are you part of God's family and should do what his family does. So, so not only is there, there that sort of obligation as part of God's family, but Peter also says that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had, have received mercy. So it's as if Peter is saying after the, the previous verse, he's saying, hey, do you get what Jesus did for you? Do you get once you were a nobody headed for hell and an enemy of God? Now, thanks to Jesus, all of that was completely reversed. So since Christ changed your life, Peter is saying, don't conceal it. Don't conceal it. Don't hold it back. Now, some of you at this point may say, uh, you have something what, you know, you may call a boring testimony. Anybody ever feel like that? 
Some of you are like, no, I, you know, I was, I was a murderer and uh, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm hiding all these things and then God changed me. But many of us, uh, you grew up in church and you had a, just what you may call like a, a boring testimony. Like one time I, I stole my sister's sandwich from the fridge, even though it was clearly marked. But then I put my faith in Jesus and now I'm changed. So any of you feel like that? Now that sounds boring. That sounds boring. But if you truly think this, and, and, and I say this because I, I think this also sometimes. If you think this or say this, then you don't fully get what Jesus did in your life. Because Jesus didn't come to save you from your outward behavior. He didn't come to change you so that you wouldn't steal your sister's sandwich anymore. He came to save you from your sinful condition that you could not fix on your own. Sometimes people say, talking about evangelism, if you knew the cure to cancer, would you just not tell anyone? But the more I thought about it, that is closer than we know. Because Jesus didn't come and heal these outside things. He came and healed the inward heart that was sinful, that was cancerous on the inside. And so when you put your faith in him, he took that sinful cancer away and took it out of your life. And listen, that's something worth proclaiming no matter what you did on the outside. That's worth proclaiming. So it doesn't matter if you were a drug dealer who kicked puppies for fun. Or if you were a pastor's kid who didn't return a library book. Either way, you were headed for hell. And without Jesus, that is why, that is why it is so important to share with others. You once were lost, but now you're found. And that is what you should be sharing. As we start to talk about why this is important, I want to share a story. I, I believe I shared this in the past, but my memory is not so good anymore. So uh, it, I'm, I'm just banking on the fact that many of you have forgotten as well. <laughs> Guy Gabadon was a, an 18-year-old uh, World War II um, Marine. And he was involved in invading the island of Saipan. And so... When he did that, he was known and became popular for something that he did once he got to the island. Now, let's back up to when he was earlier in his life. He's a, a Mexican raised in Los Angeles, and he uh, got in trouble early on. He got involved in a gang before he was even a teenager. And so clearly, he was headed in the wrong direction in his life. But then one day, and one of his neighbors, the Nakano family, Japanese family, took him in to live with them. And he became friends with the, with the family, with the kids. He went to school with them. He went to language school with them and learned their customs and, and uh, really got to know and appreciate the family that took care of him. And so then when World War II started, the Nakanos were sent off to a, uh, to a re- relocation little area there and... Um, so Guy was on his own, and he went and did a few things up in Alaska, but eventually he ended up joining the Marines, and he went to Japanese language school, and then at the age of 18, he was involved in invading the island of Saipan with the Marines. And he was a scout 
So he was on the front lines a lot of times. So one night, while in Saipan, he was on the front lines. He wandered off into the night. Now, why anyone would want to do that is beyond me when you're in the middle of an active war zone, but that's between him and whoever else and why he wanted to do that. But he did that, and when he came back a few hours, he came back with uh, a number of Japanese, I think like eight Japanese, that wanted to surrender. Now, this was big because the Japanese were not the, the type to surrender there. Even though they were outmatched and outgunned by this point in the war and outsupplied all this, they were going to lose. It was just a matter of how much fighting was needed to be done. And so he came back, and they, the, the, his boss told him, don't go out again in the middle of the night on your own. But the next night, he went out, or the, the, a little while later, he went out, and he came back with something like 50, 50 Japanese soldiers that wanted to uh, surrender. So finally, they just said, all right, go. You're, you're, you're doing well. And so one night, he took two prisoners of war that were there, and he brought them up to the top, to the top of a mountain that looked out onto the ocean there where all the ships were. And he, the guy showed them all these ships and said, hey, you are not going to win. You're not going to win. So let's surrender so that you can uh, stop this useless fighting and dying. And so he let one of them go and asked them to come back with some people and tell them what he said. A, few, a little while later, 12 Japanese soldiers came back armed. Guy didn't have any weapons. And he came back, and he thought, oh, I'm in big trouble. So he coolly offered each of them a cigarette and sat down and began talking to them. He said the same thing. short while later, a number of the other ones went off and came back. And by the end of the night... Uh, something like, let's see, 500 or eight, let's, hold on, I want to get the number right here. Um, 800 Japanese had surrendered that night alone. 800! Because he went out there and told them and convinced them in his accented Japanese-Mexican-American accent there. Now I thought about, why would... A Mexican-American Marine who was fighting the Japanese risked his life to go and help Japanese soldiers that, by the way, were fighting against him. And I think it all goes back to his earlier years with the Nakano family. The Nakano family showed him love and showed him kindness, and he connected with them, and and they, they loved him. And because of their kindness and love, He was willing to then go and risk his life to help other Japanese. So listen, this is what Peter is getting at at the end of his passage there. God showed us so much love and kindness, even more. He brought us into his family. And so therefore, we should be willing to inconvenience ourselves. We should be willing to step out there and share the kindness of God because he was so kind to us. So before we go any further, I want to just ask one question that you may be thinking here. As we're in a series titled Ignite Your Faith, like how do you grow spiritually? But what does evangelism have to do with growing in your faith? So how does evangelism grow your faith? So after all, we are talking about steps 
that we can use to grow our faith. And the great 19th century preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said this, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. A missionary or an imposter. And what he means by this is that evangelism, in its, uh, at its core there, is not just a duty. It's a byproduct of your salvation. It's a byproduct of it. Now, there, there's some people that are better at evangelism than others. Some are more comfortable at it than others. And it's natural for us when we share faith for some people to be nervous about sharing it or to not be very good, to be a little clumsy at it at times. But in the end, if we understand what Jesus did in our life then, and how we were without Christ, then there should be an inner desire to share Jesus with others so that they can know the good news of him. So if you have no desire to share Jesus with others, then I would encourage you to to look at where you are with Jesus. Second, Charles Spurgeon is also saying there that to to, to not evangelize is to disobey Jesus. That when you are not going and evangelizing, you are disobeying. So when Jesus got ready to go up into heaven at the very end, after he'd been crucified, after he'd resurrected, he told them to go and make disciples. Matthew chapter 28. He told them, go. And so what are we doing when we don't go, when we don't share, when we don't make disciples? We're disobeying Jesus' very words there. And to disobey Jesus is not going to help you grow in your faith. So evangelism is really connected in so many different ways to you growing in your faith. So if you want to grow spiritually, then one of the things that you should be doing is to be out there sharing Jesus with others. So by now, I I hope you can see the importance of it. I want to give you, as we start to wrap up the service, a couple of ways that we can share about Jesus. This is not an exhaustive list, and there's a lot of things that I'm leaving off here. So, uh, you know, we only have so much time, so I'm going to focus on just a few things here. First of all, I want to encourage you to focus on sharing, not converting. Sharing, not salvation. Now, I'm not saying we don't want the conversion. We don't want someone to, 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 to pray and ask Jesus into their life and to turn to him. What I'm saying is that we should focus on doing our part. And our part is to share. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7. Paul says, Paul says I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So we have our role, but our role as humans, sharing with other humans, is not to change their heart and cause them to to, to turn to Jesus Christ. That's what God does through the Holy Spirit. Our role, and what we've been told to do, is to go and tell people. So with that in mind, second, very closely related to the first, but second, your job is to share what God has done in you. 
So don't focus on the conversion. Get the pressure off saying that, oh, no, I need a, I need a 100% conversion rate. No, that, that's not you. You need a 100, 100% share rate. So focus on sharing what God has done in you. Since I've already talked about this, we'll move on to the third step or third part here. And that is to form intentional relationships with those who don't know Jesus. So you can't share with Jesus, about Jesus if you, uh, to others who don't know him if you don't know any that don't know him or if you don't build relationships with those that don't know him. So find intentional ways. Find intentional ways to make relationships with those who don't know Jesus. Now, as a pastor, um, I, it'll come as no surprise to you, I work with a lot of people who are Christians. So in the office, I work with uh, Pam and, and Julia and a number of others. I work with the deacons. All of them are Christians, which is good, by the way. You want Christians who work in the church, but uh, I see them a lot in my workplace. When I work at home, guess who I see? My wife, who's a Christian, and my kids as well. So for me, it's difficult to... to just run into people who don't know Jesus because I'm always with saved people. So I have to intentionally form relationships and sometimes go out of my way to connect with people who don't know him. Uh, for example, for uh, up until COVID when they cut hair and then they stopped cutting hair, but for, for a number of years, I would go to just one, one barber and, and only him. If he wasn't available, I'd just wait a week or so. That's because each time we would meet and talk, he was open to hearing about my faith, and he would talk about his faith, and, and we, we were having a conversation over a period of years about that. So I, I had to be intentional about doing that. Now, most of you probably don't have that issue. Most of you, where you work or where you go to school, most likely have one or two people around you that don't know Jesus. Am I correct in that? So you don't have to, to work at finding them, but you do need to work at building those relationships with them. Where you can work in sharing with them. Not just the share, but building those connections so that you can share. Lastly, last thing I want to encourage you to do is to prepare what you will say in advance. So in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So he's saying, be ready and know what to say so you don't just come, come across as a clumsy person who, who's in that moment seems like you can't say anything about Jesus. And one of the solutions to that is to just start to prepare in advance what you might say in commonly asked questions or commonly uh, type uh, things you have to share in a testimony. So here's a couple of questions that I encourage you to think about, and these are on your, your teaching sheet. First of all, what went on in your life before you put your faith in Jesus Christ? So just to share sort of what happened as the second step there. What led you to decide to put your faith in Jesus? Third, what has your life been like 
since you've put your faith in Jesus. And, I, and I'm not asking you to put just like a Sunday school answer. Jesus is great. Life is perfect. Amen, right? No, you, you can share struggles. You can share how, how God has helped you through them. You can share what you've been praying for or the times that you failed and, and God has, has helped you. So, so you don't have to just make fake answers there. Share what God has been doing in your life. <clears throat> and then lastly, why do you think it's so important for others to know Jesus? So if someone were to come up to you and say, well, why do you think I should be a Christian? Or what's so important about being a Christian? or Anything like that. You have a few things that you've thought through that you can just go out and share right there and be ready for it. So think through what you're going to say. So as you do that, when those moments pop up, you'll be ready. And that's what Paul said in Colossians that we should do. So this week, I even encourage you, here's a little bit of homework if you want it. Take those four questions and then get your notebook out or a piece of paper out or your, your app out and write out an answer to each of them. And that'll help you as you write them down. You'll, you'll remember it and be more prepared when the time does come. So I want to close with a story, uh, and I have shared this one before, but um, it goes well here. So why told Pilecki? Uh, why told Pilecki is a Polish army captain during World War II, and he knew that something had to be done. He didn't want to just sit back and ignore that the Germans were doing horrible things to the Jews in the concentration camps in his country. So even though he had a wife and two kids, two young kids, he decided to act. So his superiors approved the plan for him to sneak into Auschwitz, the concentration camp. So not out of, into the concentration camp. So he created a fake identity card. And he went to a location in Warsaw where he knew the Jews were being captured. And then, in, so in September of 1940, he was imprisoned and sent to Auschwitz concentration camp. And so over the next couple of years, or over the next year, Pilecki gathered information and formed underground resistance groups to boost morale in the concentration camp. And so his first report was received in October, about a month after. And he provided the Allies with details of the atrocities that were going on in the concentration camp. So in 1942, after seven months of struggling, of smuggling and struggling to get those parts, uh, they made a radio station in the concentration camp. And that enabled them to, to contact the Allies and provide information with them what was going on. So finally, after almost a year, a year and a half, in that concentration camp, he was uh, thinking that he was going to be discovered very soon. And so he uh, and a couple others overpowered a guard and escaped and made it to safety. So they were able to sneak in. He was able to sneak in, and then he was able to sneak out. So similar to what we talked about in the first one, why in the world would this person risk his life. After all, he wasn't even Jewish. And he, the answer he gave is that he was a Polish patriot, and he didn't want to just sit by 
when his fellow countrymen were suffering. So he felt that it was his duty to leave his wife and his kids and to sneak into the place where no one else wanted to go. Now, likewise, as Christians, your job and your calling is to share the news of Jesus Christ with others. So it will be uncomfortable at times. But Jesus went through so much more to give you the new life. And so it should be our honor and it should be our privilege to share with others what he's done in us. So I want to encourage you as you prepare, as we prepare to sing in a moment. Let's, uh, and we'll spend a moment in prayer. Hey, tell Jesus, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've not done in the past, but help me to move forward in the future. Help me to be more intentional about turning to Jesus. And if you've never turned to Jesus before, never given him your life, I want to encourage you to do that now. Turn to him and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And if you do, that will begin the process of igniting and growing your faith. So let's go ahead and spend a moment now in prayer. And then after that, we'll go into a time of communion.